This is what life sounds like at 20,000 feet. And right now, 53-year-old climbing legend Conrad Anker is hanging from a rope on the side of a sheer granite cliff. He and his partner David Lama have been climbing for three weeks and are just hours from the summit of Lunagri, the tallest unclimbed mountain in Nepal. They're tired, sore, their hands and feet aching, blistered, worked raw from the rigging. It's cold, bone-chilling frostbite cold, negative 20 degrees cold. But Conrad has faced even worse conditions and stared down death countless times. It's part of the job description for being the world's greatest living climber. But this time, it's different. Because Conrad is having a heart attack. How do you know when you're having a heart attack? It's not like an alarm on your phone. It's like you're fucking having a heart attack and you're having it now. I'm Gotham Chopra from Religion of Sports. This is why sports matter. We don't have a lifetime warranty on our body. I thought about what I wanted to see the rest of my life look Everything like. is finite and it will wear out. I guess I should consider myself lucky. It's huge, man. I've made peace with that. In this episode, we're looking at what it means for athletes to face their mortality and why they would push themselves to the edge of life and death. As Conrad descends the mountain and moves back toward base camp, he feels weak, tight in his chest, and he's struggling to breathe. Conrad staggers across icy snow, stumbles into his tent, lies down, breathes with purpose. Then his lips go numb, and his left arm stings. David calls an emergency helicopter. With every breath, Conrad's chest grows tighter, his pain greater. It's like this elephant standing on your chest and then going up and inside and just this incredible pressure. Compound that with being at altitude, so I wasn't getting good circulation. That pressure is a sign of coming death. But it's also a sign that for now, he's not dead yet. A signal to keep going. What went through your mind when you realized you couldn't continue, you know, what was happening to you? What went through my mind was that I, I cannot let my family down. I cannot let Jennifer and the boys down because they have put so much trust into me as a husband and a parent and given acceptance that I go and pursue these things. And so I was like, damn it, I'm going to fight for this. At a small clinic in Kathmandu, a doctor performs emergency surgery. Threading a wire into Conrad's arm and through his arteries, the doctor arrives at the problem. A plaque buildup that is blocking the heart's left anterior descending artery. Using a J-hook on the end of the wire, the doctor removes the plaque. Conrad can breathe again. Well, I always wondered when I was going to get the message that it's time to 
let go of this game, and I think I got it. Conrad survived. And after that experience, he called it quits, right? Well, no. He wouldn't be able to let go of the game. Even as all of his life he watched friends and heroes die climbing mountains, he could not let go of this game. Conrad's heart attack was in November 2016. Just six months later, he was climbing another mountain, El Capitan in Yosemite. And that's where we first met him. This isn't where any sane person should be, and we're up here, pushing around. He had a book with him, Twilight of the Gods by Friedrich Nietzsche, in which the author writes, quote, If we have our own why in life, we shall get along with almost any how. Conrad was 14 years old when he found his why. If one finds your calling in life and what is important to you, then you're a lucky person. For myself, it was climbing. I went out, I plugged my fingers into the crack and pressed my toes onto an edge, felt the tug of gravity and the thrill of exposure and the teamwork, the systems, all those things clicked with me instantly. This is where I got to be. Since then... Conrad has become a living legend in mountain climbing. He's climbed to the top of Mount Everest three different times, and he's featured in multiple documentaries. What is that experience of being able to stand on a peak that perhaps no one in the history of human civilization has ever traipsed upon to be that man? (laughs) What is that like? That sense of exploration and discovery is elemental to the human psyche. I mean, that is why we are the most dominant species on this planet, that we always want to explore, to create, to answer questions. There are those within each tribe and within each group that will take on more risk to go out and to try something that is a little bit different and unknown. And that gene, that idea, that value set, just showed up when I was born. I was either blessed or damned, but I had to follow it. But at any given moment in a big climb, especially the kind of big climbs Conrad is known for, all it takes is one slip, one mistake. Then gravity takes hold, and you're gone. In 1992, when Conrad was 27 years old, his beloved mentor Muggs died after falling into a crevice while climbing Mount Denali. To you and me, that might be enough to make us rethink our ambitions. After all, there are a lot of other ways for mountains to kill people. Extreme weather. Avalanches. And often, especially on tall mountains like Everest and Denali, the greatest dangers come from within. Some climbers die from altitude-related illness after spending too much time high up mountains, where the amount of oxygen in the air is scarce. Others die from pure fatigue their bodies simply shut down under such challenging conditions. And Conrad has often felt the pain of enduring those challenges himself. When you and your partner or partners team up, the adversary no longer is another group of humans. Rather, it's this environment that you've willingly set yourself into. I asked my father, Deepak Chopra, a well-known authority on wellness and transformation, why he thought people like Conrad might be so willing to risk their own lives in the name of a sport. He reminded me 
that it comes down to a basic human desire and the many unique ways people find to obtain it. Ecstasy can be physical, which means there's a physical experience of unbelievable joy and energy, even if it's painful. The energetic, joyful state is physical. That's the first aspect of ecstasy. The second aspect of ecstasy is mythical. You're living up to a dream, which is part of the hero's journey. To Conrad and climbers like him, the risks inherent to mountain climbing are simply part of the sport, part of the game, part of what makes a climb worthwhile. Climbers are driven and we all like to be, oh, self-effacing and humble and it's no big deal and oh, there's that. But we're very competitive with ourselves and within our peer group. And in alpine climbing, it's how big was that climb and how risky, how close to the edge did you get and did you come back? And that's kind of how we measure the, our credibility with each other and what does your name trade at around the campfire. In other words... What makes climbers great isn't just the mountains they have climbed, but also the stories people tell about them. It's a unique experience. Putting yourself in places that you weren't meant to be and overcoming that initial hesitation and fear is what climbing's about. It's the essence of it. In Conrad's case, he isn't just someone people tell stories about around campfires. His stories feel more like legends. But what he said about how overcoming fear is the essence of climbing, it's not the full picture. Not in his story. Zoom out, and you'll see that he hasn't just made peace with the fact that death can befall him at any time. His whole story, really his whole life, has been shaped by death. Specifically, by the death of men he's admired, and even loved. Men who died while climbing mountains which takes us to what happened to him in 1999, seven years after his mentor died. Like many mountain climbers, Conrad considered George Mallory a hero. Mallory was the sport's first great famous pioneer. Mythic figure, really. In 1924, Mallory embarked on an expedition to become the first man to summit Mount Everest. In 1953, when it was first climbed, that was what climbing was about. It was the tallest peak. Before Mallory started climbing Everest that summer, a reporter from the New York Times asked him the obvious question. Why? Mallory answered, because it's there. Those are now the most famous and defining words in mountain climbing. On June 8, 1924, he and his climbing partner, Sandy Irvin, left camp to make a final push for the Mount Everest summit. And that's the last time anybody saw them. It's impossible to know if they made it to the summit. 75 years went by before anybody even found their bodies. But that, in large part, fueled Mallory's legend. Yes, maybe Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay made it to the top of Mount Everest 30 years later. But Mallory had tried first. There was a deep reverence for George Mallory and the pioneering climbers that came from Great Britain that had tried Everest. Their expeditions set the foundation for the ascent of Everest in 1953. As for the mystery of what happened to him, well, that just made for an even better story. And that's where Conrad Anker's story starts becoming legend. 
It was the 1st of May, 1999. They were up there. I was contouring at an elevation of 8,300 meters going towards across the north face of Everest. It, I turned back around and there was um, something that was white. It wasn't the snow, which is light reflective. It was matte white, similar to marble. Something that uh, within a a minute or two, I'd realized that it wasn't natural to the environment. Conrad was face to face with George Mallory's frozen corpse. His name traded well around campfires after that. Conrad went as mainstream as a climber probably can in America, popping up in tabloids and even on television. And in climbing, he was solidified as an icon forever. It was a bittersweet achievement. His hero's death became a gift for his life. It was a very humbling moment, one that uh, changed my life, and I have a great degree of reverence for those that came before us, and particularly for the families of uh, George Mallory and Sandy Irvin. For a moment there, there was part of me thought, well, maybe just keep going and not bring the news out to the rest of the world, but that's what I had been brought onto the expedition to do for was to look for Mallory and Irvin, and this was what it was like. To some people, finding their hero's dead body easily could have been a foreboding glimpse at their own future. Conrad, however, had a different perspective. How do we prepare for death? Not for the person that is dying, but for the people that are left behind. And our medical profession has done a tremendous job at keeping people alive. And we can, the, the last two weeks of someone's life, I mean, we go to great expense to keep them going. And yeah, it's wonderful. It's great. It's like the myth of the lifetime warranty. We don't have a lifetime warranty on our body. We do not have a lifetime warranty on the shoes that I wear. Everything is finite and it will wear out. And if you've been wearing it out, you create experiences and experiences are the foundation of happiness. So use your body, use your gear, use your tools that you have to create experiences and find happiness from those experiences. That's a key question for Conrad's life. How do we prepare for death? What do we want for the people we leave behind? Soon, Conrad would become one of the people left behind. And he would learn that some deaths, nobody can prepare for. On October 5th, 1999, Five months after finding George Mallory's frozen corpse, Conrad was climbing Mount Shishapungma in Tibet. There were a few other men with him, including his longtime climbing partner, Alex Lowe, who Outside Magazine called the best mountain climber in the world at the time. Alex and Conrad were opposites in some ways. Conrad had long, flowing blonde hair. Alex had shorter, shaggy brown hair. Conrad was a mountain nomad, living peak to peak. Alex had a place he called home, where his wife and three sons waited for him to come back safe. But Conrad and Alex were best friends, and had been for a long time. They had planned a fun stunt, summit the mountain and then become the first Americans to alpine ski from 8,000 meters. Everything went wrong near the peak. They were crossing a glacier when an ice shelf broke away above them. In no time, an avalanche was upon them. 
Everyone scrambled to find cover from the crashing snow. Conrad was thrown a hundred feet. Then it was silent. Conrad climbed out of the snow. His head was cut open, two ribs broken, a shoulder dislocated. But he was alive. As everyone regrouped, however, they realized that two men were missing. A young, talented alpine photographer named David Bridges and Alex Lowe. Even with his injuries, Conrad spent two days searching the mountain trying to find them. He never did. Alex and David were gone. Alex left behind his wife Jennifer and their three young boys, ages 10, 7, and 3. That was the time that mortality was something that was right there in front of me. Because in previous times I was able to understand it because it wasn't me, it was someone else. But this time I had walked away from it and my best friend was dead. So I was just in this pit of despair, the survivor's guilt. And it's, it's tough knowing what it does to you as a person. And because however it is, you're kind of like, well... I walked away, and I should have been the one that lost a life because you're trying to understand and accept everyone else's guilt and grief of loss. Making matters even worse, the powers that be decided that sending a party back up the mountain to retrieve the bodies was too risky, meaning that Alex and David were effectively buried on the mountain. Conrad helped Jennifer raise the boys. He did all that he could for them. But how do we prepare for death? For the people that are left behind, they are the ones that death is something that we might not address in the way that is healthy, in ways that we can work with it in our society, that we move it off to the edges. And so how how does one accept it and move through it and find balance and find goodness in it? Those are some of the questions I still struggle with. You know, part of being healthy is staying active, and that means getting enough protein to fuel you through all your workouts, but doesn't have to come in the form of chalky, tasteless shake. To get the fuel you need with the flavor you want, you've got to try the new protein smoothies from Daily Harvest. They sent us a box. Adam, our producer, was the first one to get his hands on them. He loves them. I too love them. Daily Harvest delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. Just add water or your favorite milk to your cup and blend or heat. You can prepare an amazing meal or snack filled with delicious whole ingredients in just 30 seconds. Daily Harvest's new plant-based ready-to-blend protein smoothies actually have me excited about gym days. I take them before, some people take them after. Do what you do. Each dessert-inspired flavor packs in tons of protein with no chalky powders. For instance, they have one with black sesame and banana, which sounds very intriguing to me. I'm going to try that one first. 16 grams of protein, potassium-rich, and filled with electrolytes, calcium, magnesium, and iron. And here's something that's really cool about it. Daily Harvest Cups are portable, so you can fuel on the go. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code WSM to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code WSM for three free Daily Harvest Cups at daily-harvest.com, daily-harvest.com. 
I want to tell you about a new super coffee drink that I have a feeling you're going to love. It's called Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee. This type of coffee is less acidic than normal coffee. That means no stomach burning. Extremely high quality. That means no pesticides and no mycotoxins. Jitter-free. Includes powerful antioxidants and immune-boosting properties. Boosts your brain and amps your productivity. And reduces stress, improves concentration, memory, and alertness. And best of all, I've tried it, and it tastes great. And Adam's girlfriend, our producer who produces all this stuff, she loves it. The latte specifically, so try that one. Everyone from elite athletes to Tim Ferriss to nutritionists, authors, and even professional dancers have found the benefits and tastes of the mushroom coffee to be great. If you're avoiding caffeine, they have caffeine-free flavors, which are also delicious and offer similar benefits to their main mushroom coffee. And right now, when you head to foursigmatic.com WSM, you'll get 15% off your entire order. Talk about great. That's 15% off any order placed on Four Sigmatic's website. But you have to use our special URL, foursigmatic.com slash WSM. That's spelled F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com slash WSM. As we sought to understand Conrad and his relationship with mortality, we also tried to find a climber like him who had decided to leave the sport. If Conrad's story is about someone who can't quit the sport no matter how often his life gets put at risk, then who is the athlete who realizes its danger and walks away? That search took an unexpected turn. Instead of another climber, we found ourselves talking to John Urschel, 27-year-old PhD student at MIT studying applied mathematics. And unlike most of his fellow academics, John is also a former offensive lineman in the NFL. In the prime of his career, John retired from football two days after a famous research study was released that showed how prominent a deadly brain disease was in former NFL players. And John, we thought we found the counterpoint to Conrad Anker. Presented with a possible threat to his life, John Urschel called it quits and became an academic. But we discovered that the reasons behind the decision weren't exactly what we expected. John Urschel seemed made for football. As a boy, he was so big the local Pop Warner leagues didn't let him play. But then came high school. Freshman year, I thought it'd be fun to try. I mean, I knew my father played college football and football was a big part of his life. And at that time, I don't know, my father was a really big idol of mine. And so I really just wanted to be just like him. John learned the game easily and quickly became a standout offensive lineman. All through high school, I didn't really have this sort of idea that I would even play college football in mind until I'd say my junior year, where I came to realize that I'm not bad at football, I'm a decent player. By his senior year, he got the attention of big football schools, and he accepted a scholarship offer from Penn State. It was sort of a quiet, hidden dream of mine to be an offensive lineman in the Big Ten. This was a big dream of mine. And while he was at Penn State, he realized he was also great at something else. I was at college. I was taking sort of, you know, undergraduate mathematics courses. And I came to realize that I had, you know, I had an aptitude for it. Everyone on the football team knew I was good at math. 
I was the unofficial math tutor on the team. His third year there, John wrote a 56-page paper detailing a theorem he developed with a friend. And what we looked at was something called the spectral bisection problem, which is a well-known and well-studied relaxation of a problem in machine learning, which is known to be NP-hard. And what does NP-hard mean? It means very, very hard to solve. John even graduated from Penn State in just three years, and with a 4.0 GPA at that. Then the Ravens drafted him in 2014, and he did well there. Within the first two seasons, he established himself as a promising member of the Ravens' offensive line. Then, in 2015, John suffered a concussion. There was nothing particularly unusual or dramatic about it, just a hard hit during practice. But John felt all of it. I can't sort of say what all concussions are like. I can tell you sort of what I've experienced. Sometimes light bothers you a little bit. If you try to exercise a little too hard, sometimes you get a little dizzy, you get a little bit of a headache. With light sensitivity, things like looking at a laptop can sometimes cause some issues. And sometimes you can have some mood issues as well that weren't there before. When someone suffers a concussion, that means their brain has slammed into their skull. The effect on the brain is like a bomb going off. Neurons at ground zero explode. Microscopic particles fly through the brain like shrapnel. As a result, people often suffer headaches and problems with memory, muscle coordination, and concentration. And after you have one concussion, it's more likely that you'll have another one. Up to three times more likely, according to some doctors. But John was okay after that. And he was living the dream. At the pro level, one, the money is not bad. Two, I mean, it's not a bad schedule, sort of, to have a gig. Three, football's pretty fun, man. I'm going to level with you. It is a fun sport when you're playing. Then, in the summer of 2017, not long after John and his fiance discovered they would soon have a baby girl, the Boston University School of Medicine's CTE Center released a bombshell study. Researchers analyzed the brains of 111 deceased former NFL players. They found evidence of the degenerative brain disease CTE in 110 of them. You've probably heard a lot about CTE over the past several years. CTE stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and it develops in people as the result of repeated head trauma. The symptoms start with changes in mood and behavior, problems with impulse control, aggression, depression, and the like. As the disease progresses, memory loss, confusion, and dementia take hold. People with CTE have died in their 50s with brains that look like they belong to somebody two decades older. John Urschel was 26 years old when the study was released. Two days later, he announced his retirement from football. A media circus swiftly followed, but John was done for good. He dove into his PhD studies at MIT full-time and has no plans of looking back. There's a decent chance that this upcoming year is the last year of my PhD. So after that, I'll be applying for professorships. I'll be applying for uh, postdoc positions. And in the next five to 10 years, I look forward to sort of being settled at a university that I love, getting to do good research as a professor, being able to teach smart and interested students, 
buying a house, raising my daughter, and just living a good life. When John retired from football, he was close to the same age Conrad was when his mentor died on a mountain. So why did John walk away when Conrad kept climbing? It's a unique experience. Putting yourself in places that you weren't meant to be and overcoming that initial hesitation and fear is what climbing's about. It's the essence of it. Consider some odds for a moment. Depending on the source, the odds of dying while playing football are roughly 1 in 50,000. For comparison's sake, the odds of dying while skydiving are 1 in 101,000. In a plane crash, 1 in 11 million. Climbing? Depending on the source, the odds of dying while climbing range from 1 in 6,800 to 1 in 1,700. I'm willing to accept that injury and in the worst case, death could befall anyone that practiced these sports. And I've made peace with that. On Mount Everest, which Conrad has climbed three times, the odds of dying are already 1 in 16. Somebody has died on Everest every year since 1977. More than 300 people have died on Everest in total. And the Smithsonian estimates that right now, there are 200 dead bodies on the mountain. In 2016, just a few days before the anniversary of when Conrad found Mallory, he got a phone call. Two climbers had been scaling Mount Shishapungma when they came across two frozen corpses. The photographer, David Bridges, and Alex Lowe. It all came back after some 6,000 days of it being gone. We then went back with the family to um, attend to the bodies of David and Alex. Conrad went back to Tibet. He climbed 19,000 feet back up the mountain. 16 years after losing him, he finally found his friend. My water bottle that was in Alex's backpack with my handwriting on it and water that I had brewed that morning on the 5th of October 99 was still in there and that it had gone through seasonal freeze-thaw cycles and there it was. Conrad helped carry Alex's body back down, and he lay Alex to rest as he was cremated according to local Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Yeah, there was a sense of closure, but it was also very traumatic. It was something that took me a while to, to understand how to work with it. Even still, Conrad, well, he did what he's always done. After finding his hero dead on a mountain... After losing his mentor to a mountain. After losing his best friend to a mountain. After all that, Conrad kept climbing. I couldn't live without it. it I just had to go do it. So perhaps it's a very selfish thing to look at it like that. But what are the other to not do it? Even now, seeking out a cliff that hasn't seen the touch of human hand and being the first person to climb it to unlock the mysteries of this rock that has taken millions if not billions of years to form and then allowing human passage over it. It's creative. It's something that motivates me. Perhaps it's very much rooted in ego. Debt. Some people have a lot of it, some have a little. And the vast majority of us have some. 
but the path to financial freedom can look awfully bleak when you have high interest debt. And if your FICO score isn't great, it can make breaking out of that revolving debt cycle harder than it needs to be. Thankfully, our sponsor Upstart is revolutionizing the process of personal lending. Upstart offers personal loans, but they're not like the ones your bank or credit union provides. That's because Upstart goes beyond the traditional FICO score when assessing your credit worthiness. Yep, they actually reward you based on your education and your job history in the form of a smarter interest rate. Two minutes is all it takes to go online and find out your Upstart rate. Checking your Upstart rate is always free and won't affect your credit. The best part? Once your loan is approved, the funds will be transferred to you the very next business day. Talking the next day, people. Over 100,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards, fund their wedding, or simply to make a large purchase. And now it's your turn. Hurry to upstart.com slash WSM to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes two minutes and won't affect your credit. That's upstart.com slash WSM. So what is it in Conrad that pushes him back up those mountains despite the constant threat of death? Is it just ego? To answer that, let's consider John Urschel again for just a moment. There's a little more to his story than we thought after we first met him. The full story behind why John retired from football gets at something else that Conrad has been talking about all along. A deeper, more pure truth about death. Take that famous CTE study, the one that seemed to compel John to quit football for good. Of course, that knowledge went into my decision. If it didn't, I think I'd be a very silly person. But it by no means was the thing that made a decision for me. While starting his NFL career, John also went ahead and started working on his applied mathematics PhD at MIT in his free time. Giving up football wasn't about giving up his life passion. It was about pursuing his life passion. I thought about what was most important to me at that time and weighed sort of what mattered to me most in my life and what I wanted to see the rest of my life look like. And at that point, it was sort of very obvious that math was very much king over football. I would say that football, though sort of a great passion of mine and something I loved doing and something that had a huge influence on my life, I don't think I would ever consider this my life's passion. And I would say that uh, I guess I should consider myself lucky that the only sort of risks that I get from my life's passion is maybe, you know, getting some chalk on my shirt. How do you know when you're having a heart attack? It's like this elephant standing on I your cannot chair. let my family down. Damn it. I'm going to fight for this. A great cardiologist performed a right radio. I did not take any painkillers. I didn't want to mask the pain. I needed to listen to it. Conrad, El Capitan, six months after his heart attack, climbing again, never letting go of the game. But he's playing it differently now. He heard the pain in Kathmandu. He has, finally, sworn off big mountains like Everest, Miru, 
and Lunagri. I don't need to define myself by climbing 6,000 meter granite peaks in the Himalayas. I don't need to define myself by climbing Everest. And yes, I have let those go. But that drive that took me into the mountains, that was there, that is the fire that creates who I am, I want to take that energy and use it in a intellectual, creative capacity to address the challenges that we were talking about. How do we uplift humanity in a fair and meaningful way? El Capitan is about 3,000 feet high, maybe one-eighth the size of Everest. Still, doesn't mean it's easy, especially coming off a heart attack. It is vertical, sheer granite. Should be good fun. It's just the right amount of adventure. Because if it wasn't adventure and a certain element of risk and fear built into it, it wouldn't be climbing. Conrad is here with a young amateur who has never climbed El Cap before. He's from New Jersey. He's got a big red beard. He's enthusiastic. And his name is Alex. Alex Wildman. He and Conrad met a few years earlier. They became better friends in the past year as Conrad helped Alex win a fight against cancer, stage three lymphoma. He said, let's make a good plan because you're going to beat this. But then what are we going to do? So because we, we need to have something on the books. He said, well, have you climbed El Cap? And I was like, no, I've never climbed El Cap. So why don't I take you up El Cap next year? And uh, we put it up on the hospital board. It said like goals for the day. I remember I wrote up there. I'm El Cap, Conrad. That was huge, man. I grabbed onto that. That lifted me out of uh, this dark cloud that was kind of shadowing me. It's so beautiful. What's our motto? Hold fast. Hold fast. All storms pass. While they climb, as expected, Alex often feels, well, terrified. <laughs> what the fuck are we doing up here? Yeah. Out of my mind right now. Just calm, calm down. You got it. No big deal. Nice. There we go. The worst case scenario, whenever any climb means sure. you're going to die. You're, you're going to die. die eventually. Yeah. But just not today. So nah. we have to accept the fact that death is is imminent in our short lifespan, but you want to keep it at bay. As they climb, Conrad, to his own surprise, starts feeling some fear too. Gotta get my courage back up. I don't feel like my old self. There's some of that old self has been taken away. Some of his old self is taken away, meaning that in a way, part of Conrad has died. How do we prepare for death? Watching Conrad here with Alex, a man who just had a heart attack climbing a mountain with a man who just beat cancer, the answer feels simple. They're just doing what makes them feel alive. And after a couple days of climbing, they reach the summit, smiling, strong, very much alive. Oh yeah! Congratulations. Thank you much. Why Sports Matter is a religion of sports and Cadence 13 production. Adam Schlossman is our producer. Brandon Sneed, our writer. 
Music is from Michael Kramer, Chris Basil, and Rich Berner, our editors, and Kevin Richter, our engineer. Amit Sankaran is the executive producer. Luciano Del Villar and Joe Levin are associate producers. Special thanks to Chris Corcoran, Rich Cook, Matt Havia, Sean Cherry, Giselle Peretz, Eric LeDrew, Carrie Nelson, and Parker Reese. Subscribe to Why Sports Matter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode and know some friends that may enjoy it as well, please share it with them. And of course, we'd be very grateful for a positive review and rating if you got the time. Thanks for listening. See you next week.